It's been a four or five year journey where we went from just sidewalk counseling and not the kind of rancorous thing and you're in your face with these graphic pictures, but just coming alongside women and offering them another choice. But when we had the opportunity to go mobile with an ultrasound, you know, they can see their baby, they can actually hear the heartbeat, 80% of the women that get on that van, they're, they're going to keep their baby 100% if the father comes along. There's something about the father, something about the father. In fact, you kind of learn that a lot of reasons why women get abortions is because their man isn't behind them. And when the man stands there, I, I was there when a 17-year-old Guatemalan and with his girlfriend took an Uber to get to the Planned Parenthood and we uh, intercepted them and they came over and they got, she, he, he, she was 14 and uh, they came off the bus after the medical and uh, he was beaming ear to ear, she was beaming ear to ear and uh, I come to find out, he said to her after he saw what was on the screen, he said, listen, I know your parents won't let us get married, but I'm going to work whatever it takes. I'm going to get two jobs. I'm going to provide. This is our baby. This is our family. And we'll wait until they let us get married. And she could not have been happier. And uh, we're at 430 babies since we started this, right in the middle of COVID. So that's, uh, that's been a huge, huge blessing. And uh, if I ever did, I often say, if I ever did have a sign out in front of an abortion clinic, it would be this. It would be the same thing that I said to a relative contemplating abortion. I said to her, I said, why would you get an abortion? You would be a great mom. And that would be my sign, you would be a great mom. To inspire a future and a hope because what they'll tell in women inside there, talking about empowering women, you can't do this. The next 18 years of your life is over. You'll never get through this. You can't, you can't, you can't. And you can take care of that problem right now. And uh, when women believe those lies, then they live a life of regret. And a lot of pastors are afraid to even talk about the subject uh, to their congregations because they know many women, and there's probably women here that have had abortions in your past, which is probably why you're here, because God used that brokenness, the regret, the pain, the sin, to draw you to him, the only place where we're going to ever get forgiveness and hope and restoration. And, uh, but I got to tell you, the couple Sundays ago was a, was a new one for me because for the first time, and we get pictures from all the, you know, everyone thinks, you know, they're going to make you feel guilty. The, the, the left people say, oh, you're just going to guilt these poor women into having their baby and they're going to be miserable. They're going to, you can't take care of this baby. But when you get the dozens and dozens of pictures of moms sending them into us and saying, thank you for being there for us when we needed you. Thank you for giving us this. Look at our beautiful little baby. They're so happy. And that's powerful. But last three Sundays ago, I got to hold a little three-day-old baby in my hands uh, that was rescued. And uh, there's a lot of drama behind that. Listen, life is messy. Look in, these, look in this room... There's a lot of messes, there's a lot of victories, there's a lot of failures, there's a lot of challenges. We are a bundle of contradictions as people. So that's why we come to the Lord our God who created us, because only he can fix this mess, right? Only he can take care of us. And so I'm very thankful for the opportunity uh, to be here tonight, uh, to address a subject uh, in, the, in the context of finding rest in marriage, which uh, sounds like an oxymoron, it's, uh, it doesn't fit together, uh, because that's sometimes the strife, the struggle we have, just two sinners being together. Uh, how do you find rest in that? Well, you, you come to the scriptures and you find the answers, but um, 
In uh, Matthew chapter 11, we see the text of the theme, and I thought it would be worthwhile reading that again. Um, I'm very thankful for uh, the history that Karen and I, my beautiful wife, sitting there in the back with the easy-to-locate hair. Uh, anytime I'm in a store, I can always find her. But uh, she's, uh, she's been my wife of 43 years and um, held together by my animal magnetism. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, honestly, just what a, what a picture of grace God has in our lives. But we're thankful to Raz and Izel for many years knowing them, and now Zach and Amanda, what a blessing. You, you know, the fellowship, because God loves you people, <laughs> he's entrusted to you shepherds that love your soul, are going to speak the truth, and they're going to give you what you need and not what you necessarily want at any given time. But what a powerful picture that is. Well, Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, God's will is labor because he's called us. It's part of our life in this world. He put Adam and Eve in the garden to tend to the garden, to labor. Now, the problem is the labor comes with a whole lot of grief because of sin. So the Lord says, come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden, that is weighted down by that labor, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That is, again, a strange thing. Take his yoke, which is a picture of a burden um, that an oxen would have. But he says, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. We're going through a book with our leadership called Gentle and Lowly, written by a pastor who has been in ministry for 50 years, uh, Ray Ortland, and pastored out in California for many years, retired. But he, he opens up that theme of gentle and lowly, what that means. And it's so powerful. When you see this and understand this about your Lord and Savior, his gentleness, his lowliness, when you understand his love for us, it's it is so transforming. You know, you will get off the treadmill of works, of, of, of striving, of struggling. You will come and find that rest in him in a way that's so amazing. You'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So listen, we're going to have some fun this time. Look, if you, if you, um, if you believe that it's just an easy thing to enter into a marriage and to work things out and that it's just going to happen, it doesn't just happen. It is labor. It is labor intensive. It is self-denial. It's all of those things. But the problem is that we have a, a God who is actually actively involved as we take those steps of faith. I, I, something that I want to share with you that I hope this sticks in your heart above all things, and it's a simple principle you take care of God's business, he'll take care of yours. And uh, I've learned this in so many different ways, not only in the marriage struggles that you might have, uh, your ministry struggles, uh, just, just going to a conference. Last week, we were in a conference in San Diego, or I lost track, it's a week and a half ago. And um, there was a lady speaking on education, and I was so like, I got to talk to this lady, because like, we're starting this college thing in our church, you know, where kids don't have to go for those first two years to a get indoctrinated at a university. They can come in the church, 
We have a partner university. We've got an education pastor. They can get an actual associate's degree with a small group of people and with learning life skills, learning a biblical framework of life. And uh, we're excited about just starting this this year. But so this lady had talked about education. She was brilliant. She wrote a book called Outsourced, was a professor in the university, sees all the indoctrination and knows that we have as a church left education to the world and we need to bring it back. But so she's making this point. I got to meet her. So I'm going down in a sea of people. I don't know how I'm going to find her. But I default always to this very simple principle in my life. And, it, and I want to say how much it applies to marriage. It applies to life. It applies to us is that I see the sea of people and I know what I want. I want to find this lady. I got to talk to her. I got to get her book. But I see a guy standing there, sitting there by himself. And, you know, my, my heart just goes out. I don't like to see people sitting by themselves. So I go over there in some pastor's conference and say, hey, uh, you know, where are you from? And, you know, you enjoying the conference? I start talking to him, meeting him. And in about a minute, his wife walks over to join us. And it's the woman I was looking for. And I'm thinking, and the Lord, only the Lord can do that. But I, I got to say that this is, this is what happens in these kinds of things too. You know, you come with a group of people and you're going to be like, oh, I want to see so-and-so. Oh, I haven't seen so-and-so in a while. Oh, I want to get together with them. Where are they go? Are they going down to the lazy river? Are they going over? And we're going to be striving in some ways. And I want you to think like this. I want you to meet somebody new. I want you to open, to just ask somebody, hey, tell me your story. You know, how it starts with us. How long have you been coming to the church? You know, what, what brought you here? You know, what, what has God been doing in your life? Tell me a little of your story. And the, the reality is that goes against the grain of our natural, we have our little insecurities, and so we want to be around people that know us, and we know them, and it's, we get our nice little clicks going. But, but keep in mind, when we do that, we miss sometimes those divine encounters and divine appointments. And when we play it safe, and, and the truth is, and I try to share this with the congregation, we, you know, all the stuff the world is talking about racism and the divide and this and that. And, you know, the real issue with a lot of it is just not so much racism, not so much biases. It's just, it's laziness. It's so much easier to be around people that are just like us. But that's the problem. You don't need more of you in your life. You don't. You don't need to surround yourself with just you and people like you and people you understand. The Lord wants to enlarge your heart, stretch out, meet somebody new, just, just look at people through Christ's lens and you will be so much more enriched. And so again, on this time, I'm praying as you take care of the Lord's business. He'll take care of a little of that. You know, all those things that you're hoping to encounter in this weekend and, oh, you want a little of this, a little of that, and you're going to go home after striving to get as much as you can, like, oh, we didn't do that, oh, we didn't do that. Instead, you're going to remember from this weekend, wow, I had an amazing communication with this one couple. You know, the things that, that we've similarly raised, I would have never guessed that we would have been like in some ways, but other ways we've learned, we've grown. I'm just enriched from this experience the speaker was okay, but this was really where God was working. So that's my prayer. So David had a great way of putting this in a way that I think was very powerful. In uh, Psalm uh, 133, I believe it is, it just came to my mind right now, and I thought it would be a good one to share. 133. Um, 
And wouldn't you know that's not the one? Okay, someone's going to have to help a pastor find a verse. Where is it in the scriptures, because my mind is a little jet-lagged, I've become like a weaned child on his mother's lap. Where is that passage? Pastor, pastor's back there in the corner. 131, okay, I was a couple of off. All right, thank you, 131. Uh, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Now think about a weaned child. A weaned child has gone from that, that terrible stage where give me milk now to trained on a program where and, you know, of the, the feeding schedule now to the place where that child is now weaned off of the mother's milk. So now the child is going to learn how to be just content with the mother instead of needing the milk. And how that relates to us in maturity is that we are oftentimes at first with the Lord so blessed of all the stuff he gives us and we think that's our relationship. Just give me, give me, give me, bless me, bless me, bless me. But when you can come to a place of going through a huge trial, a loss, a a pain, a struggle, and you're okay with the Lord allowing it because you're thankful that he's going to do something in you, it's like now you are more content to just be with the Lord than what you can get from him. That's a powerful transition. So all of this ties in, in a way, to marriage. Your relationship with the Lord, with your spouse, two of the most important relationships in the world. But the idea is when we have his business handled in the sense I know that I'm trusting in him, everything else works out great. 43 years of marriage, I'd say the first 20 were um, learning some of this very basic stuff. And I have to be honest, as I was a pastor before I got married. I'm a young intern, I was ordained, Um, Actually, I was ordained about six months after I got married, but I was a young intern getting trained in ministry when Karen and I met, and that was a whole story because I had this whole vision of this California girl in my mind, and I met one just like that in California, coming out from Michigan to go to, you know, Raul Reese's church, and uh, this one blonde-haired girl, oh, she loves the Lord, she's beautiful. In my mind, we're already married. We've got, you know, a white picket fence around our house and the kids, you know, I've already in my mind envisioned this. Um, But after asking her out once and twice and failing the third time, uh, and then she called back and said the Lord told her to go out with me, I thought, okay, I'm already, I'm married now. This is it. This is the one. But the Lord closed that door because I had my, see, I was asking the wrong question. You know, which one, which is these women is for me? Which, which of one, who is the one? Who is the one? And the Lord wanted to train me to ask another question. How can I be worthy of being a man worthy to lead about one of his priceless treasures? So God had to break me from that. And I learned how to be a brother to my sisters. I learned how to care for them, look at them as sisters rather than perspective someone to please me. Bring young woman, pleases me well, you know, like Samson. Uh, The idea is, no, that's not the point. So as I was learning that, the Lord snuck around and brought Karen into my life. And 
I'll never forget when I first met her and going down to a missions trip. Well, again, what better way to meet somebody that's hard as on the Lord? And I saw her standing there, and we were running out of places to, you know, fit people. And so I said, I could take one more person, and uh, I think I could fit her. Now, I already had a little tiny Toyota pickup truck with my big, huge roommate and his fiance squeezed into the passenger seat. And there was just the console and then me, but I can fit one more. So she came, and, and, but then as, as, as I said I could take her, she, she kissed her boyfriend goodbye, and I went, oh, I guess okay. That's all right. Thank you, Lord. You're just teaching me to be a brother of my sister. So she gets in, and we're driving down to San Diego, and the first thing she says is, I'm breaking up with my boyfriend when I get back. <laughs> it was like, open for business. <laughs> Less than subtle. It was great, though. I thought, well, that's cool. So we just, but again, I'm, I'm going to keep my eyes on the Lord. And we, had, we headed off as friends. And I kept, and I don't know, about five times in that time, I just reminded her, isn't it great to be single and serving the Lord? And just, and uh, here, I wanted to send a signal. I'm not looking right now. I'm just, I want to I follow the Lord's design. But the Lord brought us together. And, and literally, we met in August. By December, I'm like, Lord, what do you have here? I mean, I remember scanning the, the seats in the foyer for some people after service on a Wednesday night. We were going to go out and grab some pizza or something, and, and my eyes caught hers, and it was like the Holy Spirit said, she's the one. I mean, so clear to me. I actually looked up and said, really? And she noticed it, and she wondered, what in the world is he doing? But uh, from that point on, I I reached out there. I said, hey, listen, I've, I feel like the Lord wants to get us together. I, you know, my awkward way of proposing in a way, or at least proposing and dating or whatever that meant, I have no idea. And, uh, but that two, first two weeks of, of that uh, period of time called dating was the most painful, we have no awkward, weird time in my life. Because I'm working 70 hours a week in ministry. We have no time to really spend together. And what do you do when you're dating anyway? Uh, I guess we can kiss now. And then I remember the first kiss and I'm thinking all the thoughts of the past came up. And I was like, what am I doing? This is crazy. I, I don't need this. And I was ready just to call it. And until the Lord said, what are you waiting for? You know, and so I just blurted out, you want to get married? It was so unromantic. I, I broke all the rules. Uh, she ran and told her father. Then I was in big trouble because in that culture, the Armenian culture, not only did I have to ask the father first, I had to ask the grandfather first. So I was in deep water from the start, but I worked it all out. They accepted me, uh, even though I wasn't Armenian. She was trying to set, they were trying to set my Armenian wife up with another Armenian, and even one of her cousins, Robert Kardashian, was on the, on the list, and... Uh, he ended up marrying unwisely, and of course, the Kardashian girls came out of it, their cousins. But that was a weird, the whole point is, I'm saying that God had a way of bringing us together in a very short way. We were married in March, so we met in August, got engaged in December, married in March, and woke up on our honeymoon morning and looked at each other like, who are you? We hardly even know, knew each other. But we knew this, and this is what we knew. I knew she feared God. And I feared God. That is, I was regarding God above anything else. 
And in fact, I remember telling her, listen, I'm going to get trained in ministry. I'm going to go out and plant a church, and it'll probably be Michigan or someplace. And so I just want you to know that ahead of time before you think about whether I'm going to stay in California. This is where I'm going. So if that's not on your list, then let me know ahead of time. You know, I mean, that, that was really, that was in my mind, in my heart. But God had given her such a heart. She was re ready to go, and we went out with our little kids in tow 38 years ago to New Jersey, started a Bible study, and the rest is his work. What, but here's the thing. It wasn't an easy road. And if you ask yourself honestly in the Bible... Read anyone. Find somebody in the Bible. Find somebody of note in the Bible and ask yourself, was it easy for them? When was it ever easy? Ray Ortland had said something that was powerful. I remember way back when I visited his church when I was first out there. He said, God does not make possible things easy. He makes impossible things possible. So if you're looking for easy... Uh, it doesn't exist except when you are carrying his yoke because his burden is light. And it's easy in that sense because you are empowered. Instead of removing the mountain, the obstacle, the problem, he gives you strength to overcome it. And whatever that is, whatever, what is, what is your obstacle? What is your mountain? What is the thing that's... First thing that comes to your mind when you think of, if only I didn't have this thing right now in my life. If only this didn't exist. If only I had this better scenario. Those are the things I think that often keep us focused on the problem. And listen, we have been through the last few years of a lot of crazy. And I, I know it was alluded to the fact that I, I, I can't deal with all this crazy stuff. I, I'm going to speak the truth. And for me, I wasn't, I wasn't a news junkie at that time. I refused because I could see the lies, lies and lies. Why are we surprised? Read the Psalms. I can't read the Psalms without seeing how much the wicked lie, deceive, and are, are going to oppress. But the righteous outlast them. Long after these powerful elite. Listen, I don't know about you, but you know, there's some very wealthy people in my area, like on the, on the coastland. I'm about 20 minutes away, but you go down to the coast, you see these $10 million, $20 million mansions. And uh, I mean, it's beautiful, the landscaping. We ride our bikes through. It's just beautiful. Wow, look at that beautiful. Oh, look at those plants. Oh, this is beautiful. And I can't help but think of what Jesus said, the meek shall inherit the earth. These people own it. They're paying for it, but I'm enjoying it. And I don't have to own it. And they're not even around to own it or enjoy it because they're off working to pay for it. And I thought, you know what? This is, this is good. This, this is essentially the Lord providing. And so you, you begin to realize his ways are so much better. You trust in him. He's going to take care of it because the wicked are like the grass that flourish real quick. They're all green and beautiful and showy. And the sun comes up and dries it up and it's dead. We have to make our mind up. In our marriages, in our lives, who really is on the throne? Some of you have terrific marriages. You came to this thing because this is just a great, this is a normal experience for you, doing every opportunity you can to make your marriage better and enjoy each other. Some of you are wondering if there's something that can help you out with some of the issues you're facing and maybe some things can, you know, break through. Some of you might even be on life support here. Maybe you're just barely making it here and you might have had some serious drama on the way here. You might have had 
Uh, well, you didn't really fight. You just had intense fellowship on the way here. <laughs> My wife and I don't fight. It's just intense fellowship. But listen, I hope that the Lord will speak to you personally and encourage you with some of these things. Um, discover some new things about him, his power. Discover some things about yourselves. I mean, after all, when you open the Bible, those are the two things you learn. You learn about him, you learn about you. There's no fancy secrets here. There's no super cool thing you're going to like, oh, man, this was it. The reality is it's just getting back to the basics, like just alluding to my wrestling uh, the, the thing that I found going into a D1 school to wrestle for Michigan State was I was this hot shot high school wrestler. Now I, I went on, you know, this team and I'm just a grunt. But the thing that really bothered me was the coach saying, okay, we're going to work on for the next two weeks uh, single leg and double leg takedowns. And after doing that for a whole day, I'm like, this is stupid. I know this. I, I told the coach Penninger, Coach, I, I, why are we? I, I know this. He goes, No, you don't. I go, No, I know how to do. No, you don't. And we were arguing and finally said, Listen, you, when you perfect this move, it can't be stopped. And there's little things you don't know because you're, you're missing this, you're missing that. You think you know it, but we need to perfect it. And so I remember just. Basic, basic, basic. Because I thought going to college, I'd learn some really cool new move. I called them the ooh moves. Like, ooh, did you see that? The crowd goes wild, ooh. And I was living for that sound, but I realized, no, it's back to basics. And so it is in life, so it is in marriage. There's nothing really fancy. It's just getting back to basics. Even opening your Bible. Listen, for me, opening the Bible and just reading I mean, I'm, I'm reading a good portion of the way back from Hawaii. We just got back from a conference there, a little vacation, and I'm going through the Psalms. I'm going through my reading schedule, and I'm like a little kid just drinking deep of the words of God. But there are many distractions that keep us from that, and your soul is at unrest when you're away from him. So if you want your soul at rest, you come to the Lord, you take his yoke, learn from him, and then that rest will minister to you in your marriage. Your marriage will be at well as well. I often tell single people, I said, you know what makes an unhappy married person? An unhappy single person. You know, if you're not content in the Lord now as a single, you are not going to be content in marriage. That's not the answer. That's not going to fulfill you. You find the Lord, and he will fulfill you whether you're single or married. And in this case, you know, the thing that I was finding as a single, I was fulfilled in the Lord. I was, I was excited when I finally settled that down and said, Lord, whatever you want, I'm not going to be looking for myself. I'm just going to be a brother and a servant. And I took care of the Lord's business, and you know what? He took care of me. He brought me a beautiful wife. And at first, I'm thinking, well, Lord, I, I, how does this work? Because I'm not like romantically, you know, I can't live without her. Um, but he essentially spoke to my heart and said, who could ever be as close as a person with their God? She will always be a distant second. A second, yes, but distant in comparison. And it made me realize, okay, so this is what marriage is. This is, this is what marriage is. And by the way, you know, in all the studies on marriage, do you know the number one thing that keeps marriages together? 
There's one, and I'm not talking just Christian marriages. I'm talking across the board. A University of Texas study, they did a study with 30,000 couples about 25, 30 years ago. And they discovered that there were three top components that kept husbands and wives married. Number one is they felt they should stay married. Number two, they felt they must stay married. Number three, they felt they had to stay married. In other words, it was all the same thing, commitment. Commitment. And sometimes you'll hear people say, well, we don't want to just stay together and fight, you know, because uh, the kids, you know, it's not fair to them. <laughs> no, it's, no, 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 no. Look, at, when you have a fight, you're teaching your children conflict management. They are learning a lot of good lessons. And you're going to have to show them how to resolve those conflicts. Because if you can't resolve them, then they're going to not resolve theirs. So this, but this is a training ground. And by the way, another thing, if you're still fighting, good, that's a good sign. There's still life. If you're indifferent, then it's dead. Then you got real serious problems. So as long as you still have those knockdown, drag-out fights in your... Now, you don't need to learn to fight fair. You need to learn to do that. But at the same time, there's still a promise. There's life there. There's hope. Because if you didn't care, you wouldn't be fighting. You would just be indifferent and just, you know, getting along with the person on the other side of the house, and that's about it. So, essentially, when you open the Scriptures, there's not really a lot in the Bible about marriage. Maybe four main passages. Uh, five if you include Song of Solomon. Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, 1 Peter 3, and 1 Corinthians 7. You know, there's not really a lot there. Simple guidelines. And most of it's repeated. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Respect your husbands as unto the Lord. And the wild thing is, the key, though, for me, and this is what is the subject, I think, of this uh, conference, the key of all those New Testament passages is that there is a short connection between the subject matter before he went into the subject of marriage. Do you know what that subject matter was before? In Colossians, in Ephesians, and 1 Peter, uh, even in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians kind of does it in, in a very interesting way because it actually the subject matter is after, but it ties it in. And that is this, the spirit-filled life. The spirit-filled life. You know, our Joshua, that is Jesus, was able to do what the original Joshua couldn't do by bringing them into rest, bringing them into the promised land. Joshua brought them in, but they never were able to lay hold of it. They didn't lay claim to that which God had done. What Jesus, he laid claim to it and provides it for us apart from works. This amazing grace. And he imparts to us the spirit of God. Listen, we, we call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's what Joseph was told to encourage him. Don't worry about taking her as your wife, even though she's pregnant with, it's not you. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to call his name Jesus Yeshua, God is salvation, because he's going to save his people from their sins. So here's the simplicity of our lives. The name of Jesus, there's power there. Who is he? Well, what is he coming for? What is this? Look, he, he came, and three things we learn just from his name. 
The first thing we learn is sin is the big problem. That is our problem, will always be our problem. Numero uno enemy in the mirror in the morning. Make note of that enemy. There are times when you have to preach to yourself. You know, look at myself in the mirror and I say, shut up, I'm not listening to you. Because there's, listen, way too many believers who listen to themselves rather than preach to themselves the truth. And we need to preach the truth. We need to proclaim the truth. And the truth is, sin is our problem. That's why his name is Jesus. Above all names, and you think of the names of God in the Old Testament, there's amazing numbers of names. He's Jehovah Shajira, the Lord our provider. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. He's Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is present. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. On and on and on. Many, many, many. But there's one name above all those names. Jesus, Yeshua, God is salvation. Because that is our biggest need, to be saved from sin. And the world and its answers are equivalent to quack doctors. Quack doctor is a doctor who has fraudulent, you know, credentials on his wall. He's never been medically trained. He can't diagnose the problem, but he can write you a prescription to make you feel good. That's essentially what the world does. You can find a way to feel good through somebody telling you whatever you want to hear, to some pill, to some experience. You can find a way to feel okay. But that does not solve the root problem. Only the Lord can. But the second thing we learn is we learn something else about the name of Jesus. That we have value. That you're valuable. How valuable? Well, when you're riding through some of these uh, developments and you've got maybe these big houses overlooking the ocean, you kind of wonder, gee, I wonder how much that costs. I can tell you when anything costs, very simple. What is somebody willing to pay for it? That's what it's worth. Well, what was some, what's your worth? What was somebody willing to pay for you? That's the powerful thing. But here's the thing, you know, look, look. You have this value, but you've been defiled by sin. If I had a $100 bill in my pocket and I dropped it in the gutter and it was all nasty and gross and crumpled up and I held it up and I said, would anybody want this? All oh, the hands would go up. Why? It's dirty, it's gross, it's nasty. And you wouldn't just walk past it, ooh, I'm not gonna get that, that's dirty. It's $100 because it retains its value. It doesn't matter how dirty it is. Your soul is the same thing. It doesn't matter how much sin has messed you up, what you've done in your past, who you've been. Your soul is more valuable than the entire world because the world is going to go to dust. But your soul will live on forever and ever and ever. That's how valuable it is. That's why I count it such a joy, those little babies. I, every time I was holding that little three-day-old baby, and I was looking at this as like, this is a little baby Moses rescued from the alligators. And, and God, you rescued from Pharaoh's attack. Is that thunder? <laughs> yeah. God is speaking right now. This is, look, this is God's, 
amazing plan. And, 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 and look, look, when God answered, for how many years did Israel cry out and burden with the slavery in Egypt after Joseph is gone and now the new Pharaoh came in and he enslaved the entire nation and they made their lives miserable and they're crying out to God for a deliver. How does God answer? With a baby. It takes 80 years for that baby to grow up and actually do anything. But we don't see the potential in that baby. We, we sometimes miss the potential in the souls we're sitting next to us. We oftentimes miss the potential in our spouses, knowing, not knowing that God has entrusted that person in our life, that you could be part of their journey with the Lord, that will, the only thing that will matter in the end. And when you bring and present your bride and wives, when you are there with your husband in that day of revealing that all that you are will be revealed. See, you leave behind all that you have, but you take with you all that you are. So pouring into your spouse, encouraging your spouse, lifting your spouse up, this is all about the, the value you see as the Lord saw in us by sending his only begotten son to die on the cross for us. And then, of course, the third thing we learn about the name of Jesus is not just that sin is the problem, not just that our worth is there, but that we can't save ourselves. And that's where grace comes in. Because we, look, you know the number one religion in the world is salvation by, you name it, works, ceremonies, something you do, something procedure, some group you're joining, something, it's all works. That's the number one religion in the world. And, and it can be summed up by saying, I guess you could actually, the American way of putting it is, I'm basically a good person. And if I'm basically a good person, I'm in. I'm right there. That's all I need to be is basically a good person. I'm basically, how would God reject me? I'm not going, I'm basically a good person. People trust in that. And you know what? They're trusting in vanity. Because the question is how good you have to be to stand before a perfect God. And if there was a way for you to be basically a good person on your own, then why did Jesus come? Years ago, Federal Express did an advertising campaign. I always use this illustration because it hits home. Is 99% is not good enough, they said. And then they went on to describe all the problems in the world if we accepted 99%. Like how many airline takeoffs and landings would end in disaster, like 500,000 a year. How many babies would be given to the wrong parents if we accepted 99%. How many pieces of mail would be mishandled every hour, millions of pieces of mail, if we accepted 99%. The truth is we can't. What if your bank said, hey, 99% of the time you'd be happy, we're honest. Would you be okay with that? Or even more personal, what if your spouse said, honey, you'd be so proud to know that 99% of the time when I'm on those business trips, I'm faithful to you. <laughs> would, would that work for you? No, of course not. So why do you think God will accept 99%? Our best. Cain's offering, look what I produced. The best I could do. Look at those vegetables, God. Uh, a lot of sweat and labor went into that. Well, the Lord doesn't want our sweat. He wants us to trust what he provided. And this is where grace comes in, and this is why it's so powerful. So that when we get this, and we know this, and we trust him, that, that's the bottom line. What do you do with the name of Jesus? You believe in his name. You put your full weight, you've, you trust in his name. I will not have a standing before God, and I have no wisdom to try to figure out my wife. I mean, 
reminds me of the guy who, you know, found a bottle on the shore and three when the genie copped out and, and said, uh, all right, you get, you get one wish. Uh, forget the three wishes. That's all myth. One wish. That's what you... And, and the guy says, you know what? I have always wanted to go to Hawaii, but I'm terrified of flying and I'm afraid of boats. So what I want is I want you to build me a, a, a highway to, to Hawaii. Well, the genie says, do you realize how much concrete and the pilings and the depth and the stress factors and is there anything else? And he goes, well, I have always wanted to understand women. I mean, my wife, you know, she cries when she's happy and she just, I, I don't understand women. I mean, if you can help me understand, then I'll accept that. Give me, yes, that's my wish. I want to understand women. And the genie said, how many lanes you want on that highway? To <laughs> Look, it's a challenge to understand each other. But the problem, but the issue is that by grace, the Lord will give you that strength and wisdom as you need it. You know, the reality is uh, when you believe in his name, the simplicity of that is powerful. But sometimes we say we believe until it's really put to the test. Like one particular little church had an outreach in the inner city and one particular Saturday afternoon, a young prostitute girl came to faith in Jesus, started attending the church, gave up her whole life, started learning the ways of the Lord and working. And as she grew in the Lord, she was maturing and she had such a brightness and a love about her. She started serving the children's ministry and everybody was just raving about her. The success story of the church it was, it was the big story until the pastor's son took a liking to her and professed that he wanted to marry her. And it created a divide in the church. Oh, but you know, you're a pastor's son, and she's coming out of, you know, maybe this isn't the best match. And, and so he heard all this buzz, and even his own mom and dad were divided over it. So he asked his dad if he could address the congregation. He gets up in the pulpit, and he said, my fiancé is not on trial here. What's on trial is the word of God. What's on trial is the gospel. What's on trial is the cleansing of God's grace on the cross. Does it cleanse or not? And it pierced the hearts of the people and they realized, yeah, this is how we need to see people. We need to see potential. We need to see no matter what in our past. That does not define us. That's why I would say, you can do it. You would be a great mom. That's why I say to you, you can do it. You have no idea who you really are. In fact, if you want to guess at this in one sense, not do we just learn, we learn our value of what Jesus did for us, but let's even throw another thought in the mix. Who are you people? As I look around, I wonder, who are you? Have you ever wondered why Satan spends every waking moment sleepless, he never goes to sleep, every moment thinking of ways to mess with you, to tempt you, to annoy you, to make you uncomfortable, to make you distracted, to make you sin, to pull you away, to, you know, I mean, he's, he's relentless. Have you ever wondered why? Who are you people that you're so important? that this, this eternal evil being spends nothing but thinking of ways to mess with you and destroy your connection with God because he knows who you are. 
problem is we don't know who we are. We don't think we're worth much. I'm not that important. It doesn't matter what I do. I'm not hurting anybody. <laughs> oh, but you are. By not being your best as a man, as a woman, as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a mother, you're affecting entire civilizations. Just like that little baby I'm holding. I don't know if the Lord should tarry, what that baby's going to mean, what that baby will do. I sometimes wonder, you know, all the complaints of all the evil in the world and why is God allowing this and that. I wonder, wait, wait, wait a minute. Maybe he sent scientists and doctors and medical people and research scientists and, and explorers and all kinds of other people and the, to solve all these problems, the cures for cancers, the cures for this, the cures for that, but they never made it out of the womb. God. He has a purpose for each of us. And I pray that uh, this grace, this finding your rest in him would have you come to a place of now seeing yourself, seeing your spouse quite differently and going, Lord, here I am. Uh, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your tremendous faithfulness. So here I am. Have your way with me. And that's the beginning of who knows what the Lord is going to do. And we, uh, we're going to have, have some more thoughts on this. We're going to have a little bit of time together. And plus, we're going to have good, some good downtime. And I really encourage you, just meet somebody new. Maybe tonight, meet another couple. Meet somebody that you kind of have, you think you might know who they are, but you've, you've seen them, but you don't really know them. Find out their story. And you can always catch up with your other friends in other times. I mean, I'm not saying you can't hang out with your friends. Do that too, of course. But just be mindful, uh, have the eyes of the Lord and see what the Lord will do. Because you know what? It might just be that, uh, you know, it's funny because a lot of times I've had people come up at the end of the church service and I'll, for prayer, and, I, and I, I still do that, but I also say, listen, you met somebody when you turned around and met them before service. Now, you know, we'll, we're up here for prayer, but maybe you could just turn around and ask them, hey, tell me your story, or is there anything I can pray for you about? Pray for one another. And now it's like pockets of people are praying throughout the church and a trickle of people come up to the elders. It's great. I'm putting the elders out of work, you know. Uh, but seriously, in a good way, people have discovered that they are the unofficial welcoming committee uh, to Calvary Chapel. Just by sitting in certain seats, they own that area. Anybody comes into their area, they meet them, they encourage them, they find out where they're from, why, they, why they're coming, uh, I got to tell you, it's just, it's revolutionized because it's getting people to be thinking. I got to tell you one last thing, you know, uh, an elder, we, this is one of our rules for our leaders. You don't dare come to church and leave without having met somebody new. I mean, that's like, that's unheard of. So um, he goes to one of the elders and he's in a hurry to meet his family. You're going to go grab a bite. And I said, hey, who, who'd you meet new? And he goes, oh, I totally forgot. My family's waiting for me, but you know what, I, you're right, Pastor. I, and so he went back in the sanctuary, he's looking around for somebody alone, and he starts, sees this lady, starts talking to her. He comes out, he's blown away. He tells me later, he said, I asked her, you know, how long she's been coming. She says, this is her third week. And he goes, really? And he goes, yeah. And in fact, I was, the first two weeks, nobody really talked to me, and I was, this is my last week I was gonna go, figuring maybe this isn't a church for me if nobody talks to me. And then you came over. He got her plugged into a home group. He got her plugged into the church, and now she's thriving in the church. And he learned a very valuable lesson. 
you never know the impact you can make on one single life. A little act of kindness, who can tell? The hard part is practicing at home, isn't it? But that's for another day. We'll talk about that. Father, thank you. Thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for what you want to do here. We ask in advance, Lord. Thank you that the thunder and lightning is going on while we're in here. And I pray, Father, you give us just a great evening and a great time tomorrow. We commit this time to you. Go before us, bless, and encourage these couples investing in their marriage, Lord. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.